John chapter 8. I want to read together, we could just have one uh, verse there, John 8, verse 32. Once you're there, if you would stand to your feet, then we'll all of you read it together to honor God's word tonight. John chapter 8, verse 32. Standing to read it all of you together, that one good verse. John 8 and verse 32. Please amen. Amen. John 8 and verse 32. Let's all read it together. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Father, tonight we thank you for the power that is in your word. It is truth. And Lord, we pray tonight in Jesus' name as we come afresh to your word that you would feed us with your word. We thank you, Lord, for Lord, the work that you did in this house on Sunday last, O oh God. And we continue to pray that you would work in hearts and lives. Lord, that your truth would penetrate deep into hearts. And lives would be truly set free by the power of your word. Oh God, tonight we thank you for the privilege to stand and to come around this open book, Lord. We pray for the breath of God upon these precious pages, that Lord, you would quicken your word to our hearts, Lord, we need to hear, Lord, we need to see, Lord, living spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. So Lord, bless your word tonight, glorify your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With your seats, praise the Lord. We've been doing it over these Wednesday nights. Just the truth war that we have come to in these days. There is a, a warfare that we're engaged in. I believe it's a battle for truth. And the truth in all matters is God's word. It is above everything. And that uh, we want to just live afresh tonight. These great verses, John 8, verse 32, simply says that ye shall know the truth. We know the truth is a person that is Jesus Christ. And that truth will will make you free. Thank God that he sets his people free. If you just follow some verses with me tonight, if you would, back into John chapter 1 and verse 14, this great chapter here, the revelation of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it tells us that the word, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And then it says these wonderful truths. Full of grace. Full of grace. I want you to note this next word. And truth. Full of grace. And truth. Tonight I'm just speaking on this truth more. Grace and truth. I want you to note that it's not grace. The truth. It is grace and truth. Jesus Christ is full of grace and full of truth. There's been a very subtle, dangerous battle that's been going on in our generation. Today there's been a strange rise in the idea that grace is against truth or grace is a substitute for truth. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is full of grace and truth. We're told in Jude, uh, in the little book there of Jude, the one before the end, I believe it's aptly placed, if you turn over to it, and I know we've touched on these verses the last few weeks, but I believe that this little letter here is aptly placed in Scripture as the book before the end. And here Jude, in the third verse, this writes these words, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly Contend for the faith which was once delivered 
unto the saints, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. And then this phrase, if you just pick it out there, turning turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Not word that word their lasciviousness is unbridled lust that they would in those days, the last days I believe that we're in, that they would turn God's grace. Remember that first week we talked about precious things and there's something so precious about the grace of God. It is amazing grace. But they would take the grace of God and they would turn it into a license to live whatever way they wanted to live and they would then call it the grace of God. It's unbridled lust. Rather than grace and truth, today we've come to a battle, as it were, between grace versus truth. And so you'll hear terms that are being preached and uh, coming from pulpits across the world today that because of grace we no longer need to repent. You'll hear things like there is no obligation upon a believer, even though we're bought with the precious blood, we don't belong to ourselves, he has purchased us, but then there is no obligation upon us any more responsibility to live a life that's pleasing for the Lord because we're under grace. You, you'll hear terms and, and influences come that anything or anyone that attempts to preach or teach or bring correction in any, any way is simply, there is a cry that comes out straight away that that is legalism, that, that you are not allowed to preach against sin you're not allowed to teach that it is right for believers to live a life that pleases the Lord, that the Bible says we're to live a holy life, and that we are to be holy as he is holy, that we are to take up our cross, that is legalism, that, that there is a cost in serving Christ, not for our salvation, but there simply is a cost to serve him, to be a disciple of the Lord, that we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, the words of Jesus Christ, but if we attempt to teach that in many circles today, there's a cry that comes back that this is legalism, that we're under the grace of God and we're free. What they've done is they've turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. Grace then, we understand, is one of the most precious truths of the scripture, is one of the most precious great truths of the word of God, one of the great revelations that we should be so thankful for God's grace. I want to go through some very well-known verses tonight for us to appreciate afresh the grace of God. And if you follow it with me, we'll go to Ephesians first. Then we'll get into the book of Romans. And Romans in particular deals, especially chapter 5, deals a lot with God's grace. And we learn to appreciate some things which are so precious. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5, just these very simple, basic truths that we are very well aware of, but causes us to appreciate this precious truth of, of concerning the grace of God. Ephesians 2 and 5 says, Even when you were dead in your sins, have quickened us together with Christ. And then Paul writes, By grace, by grace here, it's such a precious thing, ye are saved. And just go on down to verse 8 in the same chapter. And then Paul writes, For by grace are ye saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is totally the work of God. In saving us, we haven't murdered it, we don't deserve it, we can't gain it, we can't work for it. It is God's amazing grace that we're saved by. You turn over then into Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. Romans 
chapter 3 and verse 24, Paul again writing, he says these words, being justified freely by the grace of God through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, that we are that we are justified not by any merit or any work or anything of us, but we are justified freely by faith, and we are justified freely by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, grace is such a, a precious truth to the church of Jesus Christ. It's such a personal precious truth to every believer in this room. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. There it says there, Romans 5, the first couple of verses. Paul writing again says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We stand not through our own strength, but we stand here by the grace of God. There is nothing else by God's grace and by God's grace alone. Are we here tonight? Are we in this house tonight? Are we able to stand tonight? Are we able to sing the songs of Zion tonight? Are we able to enter into the presence of God? It is simply by the grace of God. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Just go down that chapter. Then it talks about the abundance of grace. In Romans 5 and 17, Paul writes, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace. Is there anyone in this room has received the abundance of grace? We are recipients of the abundance of grace. We haven't deserved this. And so we are recipients of the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. All all that we've received, all that we are, everything of what we've received of God, how we stand tonight is all by the grace of God. There is absolutely nothing. There is absolutely nothing on our part that we can do, that we can justify ourselves, that we can gain favor by God. We are simply justified by faith alone, and it's in the grace of God that we stand. Verse 20 of the same chapter then, Paul writes, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Are you thankful for the grace of God? It's such a precious truth, the grace of God. Verse 21 says that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. That when we were slaves to sin and we were we were under the rule of sin, but thank God today we are under the rule that reigns over, the grace of God reigns over our lives. For sin abound, the grace much more abounded. Are you thankful for God's grace? It's such an amazing thing. The hymn writer writes, amazing grace. And it is truly the amazing grace of God. We know it, that it is said that it is God's riches at Christ's expense. Someone paid a price, a great cost. The riches of his grace bestowed upon us. There was a cost. And that we could be the beneficiaries of the grace of God. That is Christ dying on the cross. We did not gain it. We did not learn it. We, 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 are, we are owed nothing as it were. We deserve nothing. But in the mercy of God, God has bestowed upon his people the great riches of his grace. But it was at the expense of Jesus Christ. And he gave his life. He gave his all for each of us in this room. And God bestowed upon us the gift of salvation, the grace of God, at the great cost, 
of Jesus Christ. What an amazing Savior. The grace of God that has been bestowed upon us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul brings out the truth of this. God's riches are at, at Christ's expense. And Paul writes and says, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty we might be rich. Tonight we sit tonight, we are rich men and women. We're the richest people on the planet because of the grace of God. But it was at the expense of Christ, and that's why we love him, that's why we worship him, that's why we adore him, that's why he's the center of everything that we do. That's why he's the center, the center of the church and it's gathered in the center of our lives. Because it's all Christ. It's all him. Then this grace, of course, not only in the salvation, but in everything that we are and everything that we do and all the gifts that God bestows upon the church of Jesus Christ are all by the grace of God. The moment that we ever think that anything that we do or anything that we have or anything that we become or any gift that we have that we use for the kingdom of God, that it is because of us, is actually the grace of God. Paul writes this in Romans 12, if you go back in verse 5, speaking of the gifts that are in the body of Christ and all the diversity of gifts that God has bestowed in the body. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, he said, so we being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Then he says, having then gifts differing according to what? According to the grace of God. So God then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, those resurrection gifts and the gifts of the Holy Spirit bestows into the body of Christ by the grace of God, he bestows these gifts into the body of Christ. May no one ever boast that it's in themselves, but everything of who we are and what we have, whether we are an encourager, whether we're singing, whether we're preaching, whether we're praying, whether we're interceding, whether we're people that do administration roles in Sunday school lighthouse, everything of all the gifts and the callings of God are bestowed on the body of Christ by the grace of God. It does not come by education. I'm not saying education is wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong not to go to Bible college, to want to know more. But everything of what we become, if we ever think it's because of who we are or what we can achieve, then we've actually missed the boat. We're actually operating now in our own selves and not by the grace of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 concerning his labor, and concerning his work, and if we look at the Apostle Paul, was there anyone that you can see it because the scripture clearly teaches us of his missionary journeys, his efforts, and all that he did for the gospel of Jesus Christ? But Paul made it clear how that was possible. He said in 1 Corinthians 15 and 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace was bestowed upon upon me, and, and, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. It was actually the enablement and the power of the grace of God that enabled Paul to do what he did. It was amazing if you read the life and look at the life of Paul and how he was able to do what he did. It was not in his own strength, 
but it was by the grace of God. And everything of what we do and everything of what we achieve and everything of who we are, it's all by God's grace. It's the sustaining power that keeps us in the trials and the tribulations and the valleys and the difficulties and the times of weakness and the times of sickness and the times of pressure and the times of the valley. What brings us through, what actually enables us to go through is not our own strength, but when we look back on it, is it not the case that we look back and say, that's the grace of God? Otherwise, we don't make it because of God's grace. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, again a well-known verse, Paul says these words. But remember that thorn in his flesh, the trials that he went through, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So in the midst of it all, in the midst of all the trials, and you look at a brother or a sister, and you experience it also in your own life, and you ask yourself the question, how do they make it through? And all you can simply say it is God's amazing grace. It's God's grace that brings his people through, nothing else not of our own strength, but it's the amazing grace of God. It's also the miraculous work that God bestows upon the church, and it should be our prayer tonight when we come to pray, God, would you grant unto this church and the church of Jesus Christ great grace and the miraculous power of God. You turn back into Acts chapter 4 and verse 33. You read there of the early church, what really made it go forth in the power of the Holy Ghost. Not because Peter and Paul or, or, or the apostles or the 120 were some type of very special, unique people. It was God's amazing grace upon them. In Acts 4 and verse 33, it simply tells us of that early church. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And it says, and great grace was upon them all. What a prayer we should pray tonight, Lord. Would you bestow upon the church of Jesus Christ great power and may your great grace be upon every person in this room and across the body of Christ. Lord, do what you did before. Do it again. Pour out your spirit upon us. The grace of God is something that is seen visible. It is not just something that we, in a theological sense, appreciate or in an intellectual sense, have an understanding of, but the grace of God is actually seen in a life. Have you not been encouraged? I know I have as much as I've heard some of the testimonies many times, but over these Sunday nights I've been so blessed to see the grace of God. You actually see the grace of God in lives. It's an amazing thing. That's the grace of God. How were these lives changed? What happened? It's God's grace. And you see it, even though you've heard the testimonies time and time over these past number of weeks, so many of them we've heard many times before, but actually there's something so precious in it because what you're looking at is not just a man or a woman, but what you're seeing is the grace of God. God's amazing grace working in a life. And may there be many more lives changed by the grace of God. It's God's grace working in our lives. In Acts chapter 11, 
we see there that in the early church they actually not just had a theological appreciation of it, but they seen the grace of God at work. We know in, in this in this account here in Acts chapter 11, what actually had taken place is that the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the Gentiles just the way the Holy Spirit had fell on the Jews, the converted Jews in Jerusalem in the upper room. They were all amazed that, that the wonderful work of the Holy Ghost was not just contained amongst the Jews, even though that was where it had to be first of all, but they're now all taken back by this reality that God's salvation was extended to mankind. And so when Peter seen the reality of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Ghost fell on them just like it was in the beginning, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 11 are mirror images, even though we don't get more detail in Acts chapter 11, we're just told simply that in Acts chapter 11 it fell exactly, he fell exactly the same way in Acts chapter 2. What that shows us is that there's a Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and there's a Pentecost in Acts chapter 11, and there's a Pentecost here in this room tonight. It's all the same. The reality of the power of God falling upon his people. But what happened there was they sent a man by the name of Barnabas, very key figure in the early church, a man that was full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith. He comes to witness what God was doing. In Acts chapter 11, verse 22, it says these words, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad. When he entered into the church, if you can imagine it for a moment, when he entered into the church, the Gentiles were wonderfully being born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. The power of God was falling upon them. And Barnabas himself, being full of the Holy Ghost, walks into that meeting, and suddenly he sees the hand and the work of God. Do we not want to see that again? See God's hand at work. And then he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man, was full of the Holy Ghost and faith. And much people were added to the church. You can see the grace of God. Not something just written down on a piece of paper. Not just something about a book that you might pick up in one of the bookstores, but it is the living reality of a changed life and the power of the Holy Ghost. He actually seen God's grace. We can still see it today, praise God. We can still see lives changed by the power of God. We long for a visitation of the Holy Ghost. We long to see the grace of God working in lives being changed. Always remember this, it's God's grace that does it. It's never because of anything of us or who we are. It is the grace of Almighty God working in a life to transform a life you can actually see it. Do you know the sad reality of the day that we become to? Today's church believes that physical grace is how someone dresses or how a church looks. That is the tragedy of where we've come to. So shall a couple of weeks ago we talked about the precious things. How can we take something so precious and bring it down to something so shallow? It's how you look. I was told the story recently, a true story, in recent terms about an older gentleman who, who still dresses in a traditional way, that is, a shirt and tie. 
He's fully aware that that doesn't make him any more holy than anybody else, but he respects the house of God and he wants to dress that way. And so there was a particular gentleman who had always dressed that way. He was a younger guy, younger than me, and all of a sudden he went away somewhere. He'd come back and he was wearing, it's not a problem to me, I don't wear them, but it's just because I probably couldn't get into them. They were called skinny jeans. It's not my, it's not a my real. And so this this guy, he was traditionally shirt and tie. I think he knows that my reels a wee bit wider than that, but that's not a problem if you wear skinny jeans or boys do. But somehow or another, this guy, he then wanted to transform himself from a shirt and tie man to a t-shirt and skinny jeans. And he walked into this particular meeting, and the man said, that's grace. The elder gentleman said, well, if he was wearing a miniskirt, is that grace? Is it so sad in the day that we're living in that we've reduced the grace of God and the advancement of the church in all its modernization that grace is something of how you look, what you wear? That's actually where it's come to, brothers and sisters. You may not think that or you may not be aware of that, but I want to tell you that's where it's come to. With the modernization of the church and everything that goes with that, that's not necessarily something that's evil. But when we take the precious truths of God's word and we say, this is what it is. I tell you what Barnabas seen that day. He's seen the Holy Ghost all on a people. And he's seen them all filled with the fire of the Spirit of God, speaking in other tongues, filled with God's glory, God's joy. And he said, I've seen the grace of God. Today we're saying when we dress a certain way, that's grace. God... Why do we take the precious things and make them so cheap? It's a tragedy of where we've come to. That's where we are today, friends. Today, the modern grace movement, and it is a movement, and it's a dangerous one. And this may not be particularly popular, and it may not be even well received in the wider circle, but I want to tell you something, friends. The grace of God is such a precious truth. This is what the Bible says concerning the grace of God, and it's found in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God, Titus 2 and 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation. What is that? That is a person called Jesus Christ. Remember, what is he? Full of grace, and he's full of truth. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, that is Jesus Christ. The grace of God that brings salvation is Jesus, has appeared to all men, teaching us. This is the grace of God, denying ungodliness, worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise you. That's what Paul says. This is the grace of God. Verse 12, I want to read it from a few different versions, if you don't mind. But it says they're teaching us, this is God's grace, that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. 
that we should do soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. This is God's amazing grace. This is how we're to live our lives. The grace of God teaches us how we should live. We have taken away from the church of Jesus Christ that there is a way that we are to conduct ourselves. There's a way we're supposed to behave by the grace of God. But today, we take grace and we say, you can live whatever way you want. And we've taken such a precious truth and we've thrown it into the gutter and we say, this is grace. Friends, this is a tragedy what's happened. Titus 2 and 12 says, teaching us, here's another version, teaching us to say no. Is there such a thing as no anymore? We've come to a word that there's no no and there's no yes, there's no right and there's no wrong, there's no black and there's no white. But thank God for the scriptures and the Bible tonight teaching us to say no. Young people, you can say no. You don't have to blend in. You don't have to go with the crowd. You don't have to swim with the rest of the fish. Older people, we don't have to say yes to everything and blend in with everybody. We can stand up and say no. No to ungodliness and worldly passions. To live a self-controlled, upright and godly life. That's a man or a woman that's full of the Holy Ghost. It actually means, above everything else, that we're self-controlled. That's what it is to be governed by the Holy Ghost. We're under the control of the Holy Spirit. Titus 2 and 12, another version says, Turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. That's what it is. That's what the grace of God will work in the light. That will flee from the pleasures of sin. That will flee from the world and its lust. That will flee from the things that we know that will hinder us and grieve the Holy Spirit. Training us to renounce worldly passions and to live sober and upright. Do you know already you can nearly hear the cry from that movement that's saying, This is legalism. You're under legalism. You're free. Run from that. No, run to Jesus and be free from this world of sin and sorrow. Turn from God that's living in sinful pleasures and to live good, a God-fearing life day after day. Why, when these truths actually were the truths that our forefathers lived by, walked by, and loved and endured and set as an example that somehow or another in the modern church, we don't want older people amongst us. The whole condition of the modern church must be to suit the young. My God, we need the old and we need the young. But there is one way and it's God's way. When we come to a place where no longer we're saying older people with a walk with God, that have walked with God, that have sought God, that know what it is to pray through and touch heaven and live a life as an example to younger people. And the modern church has said, because we're under grace, we don't need them any longer. There's so many cannot find a place to worship because the music has changed, the culture has changed, the environment has changed, and they're being told you cannot dress a certain way because we're trying to reach the young. And when we try to reach the young with all the modern gimmicks, then we have to keep them with that. But if we reach them with the cross, the cross will keep them. Amen. The subtlety of the hour in which we've come to, where there is a battle between truth and grace. But friends, there's no battle 
Don't be influenced because we can be by the modern age, by the modern worship age, by how it's supposed to be, that this is grace. And I'm not against so much of what there is, but friends, so much of it is nothing. It is empty. It is void of substance. It is void of scriptural truth and spiritual understanding. And it moves on the emotions but doesn't change the heart. And when Barnabas seen the grace of God, lives were transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so we're to live soberly. Immediately the cry comes back. Oh brother, you're in bondage. I've heard this has been said to me. Brother, you're in bondage. You're in bondage. You need to be, you need to come into some type of fresh revelation of the grace of God. You need to understand who we are in Christ. I want to tell you something, friend. It is the truth that makes us free. And it's the truth that keeps us free. I haven't arrived anywhere, but everything of where I am is by the grace of God. But I want to tell you, friends, something so precious I'd never allowed to be trailed into the muck of this world. Allowed to be clothed in worldliness and presented to the world as the grace of God. It doesn't change a life. It just creates an atmosphere of a lot of people and they're moved by the soulish aspect of it. But there's no change by the power of a living Christ. Lives change. We have stood. We have seen lives stand behind us. Talbot, Brent, and Stephen, and right through Morris, and so many others that have stood at this pulpit. What has changed them? It is Christ and Christ alone. That's what's changed them. Not the mood of a meeting. Not the trappings of modern religion. Friends, we might reject, and we should reject everything of that old traditional way of. Of death and Catholicism and Protestantism that, that is just ritual. But we also should reject all the modernism with all its gimmicks. That does not change a life either. We need the power of a risen Christ. We need the power of the cross. We need the reality of the grace of God that changes a life. May great grace be upon us. Jude says, further. Are certain men crept in on the worse who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men who will deliberately turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, access, outrageousness, shamelessness, and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace has been used to remove many of the precious truths that we have been handed down from our forefathers. Truths that they lived by, truths that they walked in, truths that they prayed through on. Many of those older saints try as they come to the latter part of their lives and God has promoted them on to glory. And somehow or other we have, we have come to an age that's so smart so advanced that we don't need these old paths. We're a legalist to look for the ancient landmarks and the ways that have been trodden with tears and blood and sacrifice and service that have given us a gospel that stands and a gospel that we've inherited that has seen us through some of the most difficult times that this sweet country even has experienced in its hundred years of bloodshed and trouble. And yet there was a people in the midst of it all that knew what it is to call on heaven, to pray through and touch God and believe God in the midst of all the chaos. Today we've become so 
modern in our thinking and our and our way and in our theology that we've removed the old landmarks, the old past, the ancient ways that's been trodden down. But give us a new way. We'll take the grace and cover it all with a modern grace and say, we're free. Grace has been used. The banner has been waved in order to modernize the church in its appearance and its function and its practice and its presentation of the gospel. But I tell you something that we sing it here often. It's the old rugged cross that made the difference. And that's an offense even to many in the church. The songs that we sing actually are an offense to many. But may we ever sing the songs of the cross and the blood. May we ever preach the word and may we ever get know what it is to get on our knees and praise through and touch heaven and believe God for God again to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Grace has been used, listen carefully, grace has been used to make the church more acceptable to the world. But it's not the grace of the book. They've turned the grace of God because now today we now have a self-seeking, pleasing, psychological gospel. And don't you know it? And I know it. With no cross, with no blood, with no cost, and no serving. What it is to serve. I remember growing up and being brought up in that way. With mom and dad and being brought to those meetings. And all those old messages of truth and reality living that life and looking at all those old people that were around us and maybe they weren't that old, they are probably only my age then but you thought everyone was old when you were 7 or 8, anyone's in their 40s were like but they lived the life I think it's a precious thing in the midst of all of this that even today you know you see some of those old saints maybe a wee, a wee envelope will come through the door Maybe they haven't been here, but you know what you find is date after date after date, <coughs> and their tithe marked out in the envelope is still given into the house of the God. But grace says we're free from that. This grace, this modern grace. And these old people, and I'm not trying to be offensive to them, but walk with God. Then all of us younger guys with all our smart ideas all of a sudden feel. We know so much more than them, yet we're so much poorer. They knew what it was to walk with God. They knew what it is to pray with God. They know what it is to touch heaven. They know what it is to go through. To go through, I'm talking about going through with God. I mean, going through storms, going through troops, going through warfare going through battles, going through darkness. They knew what it is they've walked and they know what it is to go through. May we go through with God. But the modern church, with all its advancement, with what we have, my goodness, what we have. I'm not against it. I'm just, you know, in the modern stuff of what we have, I'm not saying we should go and live in a, a, a shed somewhere at the top of the moors. I'm just saying, with all that we have, we seem to be so much poorer. And this has all been done in the name of grace. It actually disturbs me. Sorry if I'm laboring the point. It actually does disturb me. I do actually get a little bit upset about it. You don't mind if I get upset? 
I do get a little bit out of believe it's a righteous anger to say, God, who do we think we are? I don't say them, I say, who do we think we are? That we're so smart today that we have everything. Thank God for it all. But the old paths are the only paths. The old saints prayed through. They knew where it was to get up and to pray on. And not give up. And to believe God. And against all the odds. Against all the odds. When they had a conviction. I want to tell you something. Nothing would move them. And if they had a conviction. They were going to tell you about it too. They weren't afraid to say no. They weren't afraid to say. That's wrong. They weren't afraid to warn the younger. That's not the right way. This is the way. Walk ye in it. You'll find peace. You'll find life. This is the way. Or we become so modern that even to say such a thing, even to say such a thing today, most would be offended, leave the church, and never come back. What a tragedy we've come to. I remember some years ago hearing of a church, a very, very powerful church in Belfast. I'll not mention its name, but well-known, mighty church, prayer, older people that were there, really on fire for God, Pentecostal church, one of the denominational churches, really on fire for God, really solid. Then someone made a decision that we're going to modernize and we don't need the older ones anymore. 40 to 50 old people have to leave. Does that not break your heart? Is that not a tragedy? And then we've come maybe a few years later and we wonder what has actually gone wrong here? Because we have said we don't need Moses. We don't need someone to lead us. We don't need someone to part the waters. We'll have to go at this on our own. We'll do it our way. You know what it's produced? Friends, it's produced the shallow, sorry, but powerless. On the outward, perhaps, a very polished church, but a church void of the reality of the power of God. And so what do we do? And I say that because I'm talking about us being part of the body rather than we're okay here. What do we do? I tell you what I think we should do. I think we should be very thankful for the grace of God. How precious it is. I think we should always keep the precious things precious. Precious things, precious. Hey, how did you make it through? How did you actually get through? It's God's grace. Well, listen, you're a great singer, you're a great preacher, you're, you're a great intercessor. Anything that we are, we are by the grace of God. The day of moves from that is really the day it's over. Why? Because he'll share his glory with no one else. Are you thankful for God's grace? Never should we allow it to be cheapened. 
It is God's riches at Christ's expense, and it's so precious. Are you thankful for God's grace? Are you really thankful for the amazing grace of God? I want to tell you something, friends, and it is an amazing grace. May we pray for God to bestow upon us great grace, great grace upon all of us, a great power, miraculous power to work through us, not just here, but through the body of Christ. Thank God for the old past. Thank God. Thank God for the examples. Many of those old saints, many of them have already gone. Many are already promoted to glory. But they've left as a track and they've just followed the path. It's the master's path. That's the path we're following. That narrow path. That's legalism. You, can you actually imagine the coming the day that the narrow path is classified as legalism? What a tragedy. It's the narrow path that leads to life. That's the path we're on. That's the path we need to keep going. Be careful. Don't allow the influences of the, the broader aspect of what's happened because the Bible warns us of what will happen. God's amazing grace. How precious is that? How precious is it? Thank God for the grace of God.